Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The Prima Deer, session number 483. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a wonderful story of a student who thought about giving up his dream of going to medical school but found this podcast, listened to my words, and told his story, and now has his dream acceptance to a great medical school. We're going to talk to Alejandro about his journey right after this. Before we jump in, I want to talk about the MCAT Minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT, the MCAT, the MCAT. We all know it's hard. We all know it's important. But did you know, if you need to retake your MCAT, ideally you have a plan in place. You take it, you get your score back. Hopefully you took it early, like January or March of the year you're going to apply. And if you get your score back and you have time to retake it, ideally you're taking it by the end of June. Best case scenario. Can you take it later? Sure, you can. But you just need to be careful. Get your application in if you're confident about getting a good score. Apply to one school and then submit your application take the MCAT, get your score back, and hopefully you did well and add the other schools that you want to apply to onto your application. Applying by the end of June is not going to significantly delay your application, if at all. So uh, that's my recommendation for retaking. The first thing you need to do, though, is figure out why you need to retake, why you didn't get the score you want, and go from there. If you want some help with your MCAT prep, go sign up for a free account over at blueprintmcat.com where you get access to a free study planner tool, which will help you with your retake, a half-length diagnostic, a free full-length, as well as their amazing new spaced repetition flashcard platform. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com. All right, so let's go ahead and jump in. Say hello to Alejandro about his journey to medical school. Alejandro, welcome to the Pre-Med Years podcast. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing pretty well, Dr. Gray. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. I got a, a lovely message from you on Instagram saying, you almost gave up on this dream of going to medical school, but now you have a full ride somewhere we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. So congratulations, first and foremost, on your acceptance to multiple colleges, multiple medical schools, rather, and uh, and having a full ride. What does that feel like? Um, you know, honestly... Uh, it's something that was completely unexpected. 
Um, I feel like, like with a lot of pre-meds, uh, there's a lot of doubt uh, in this journey. Um, but, you know, finally having that acceptance uh, kind of makes it seem like all that hard work throughout the years paid off. And uh, I'm super glad I didn't give up because uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't trade this for anything, essentially. Yeah. I, I'm glad you didn't give up as well, which is why I'm out here doing what I'm doing, because too many people give up on their dreams, and then I have to talk to them, or I get the privilege of talking to them, rather, uh, 10 or 15 years later going, yeah, so I made a mistake. I really want to be a doctor, and I just uh, gave up 10 years of my life. <laughs> I'm like, so don't don't give up, people. Don't give up. So let's let's rewind. When did you first realize that you needed to go down this path and become a physician? Um, I actually want to say I, I knew I wanted to be a physician since elementary school. Um, so I remember one of my science classes, our science instructor brought in a cow heart and I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Um, and you know, from very early on, I wanted to be a cardiothoracic surgeon. Um, but then I had some like life experiences that happened towards middle school that kind of shifted that from wanting to be a cardiothoracic surgeon to be a primary care physician. Um, and yeah, that's, uh, you know, ever since elementary school, my whole life, there's just been reoccurring things that happen in my life that just further motivate me to go down this path. Nice. So obviously it's very easy, this whole process getting into medical school. So you, you know, from a young age, you want to be a doctor, you go through school, you're a good student, you apply to medical school, you get in, bing, bang, all done. (laughs) Uh, no, I wish, uh, (laughs) I wish it was that easy. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, I did, uh, I did struggle a lot. I struggled significantly when I started, um, attending college. So I actually started at a community college before going to a four-year university. Okay. Um, and, um, for lack of a better term, I did, uh, I did pretty bad. Okay. Um, what, what do you think was the cause of that? Um, so that's something I've actually reflected on. Uh, so throughout high school, I didn't really study much, um, uh, and so my study habits were really poor. I was going through some health issues at the beginning of community college, but I um, there was one time I recall just sitting down and remembering I wanted to be a physician, and that's when I really reflected within myself, and I was like, you know, you, you really don't have good study habits right now. You're not putting in the work that needs to be done, mm-hmm. uh, and this needs to change, essentially. Why, why change? Because a lot of people will go, uh, I don't have good study habits. I guess I'm not a good student. I'll go flip burgers at McDonald's. Um, so I think, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, with, uh, the experiences I had growing up. So just a bit of background. Uh, so when I was growing up, when I was in sixth grade, my father was actually hospitalized for nine months. Um, and it's because he got pancreatitis, um, which I'm sure a lot of people know that it's something that usually affects people that abuse alcohol. Mm -hmm. But my father was never that type of person. Um, And so they couldn't figure out like what the cause of it was um, until he transferred to another hospital. Um, But I remember my mom telling me about, you know, my dad being in the hospital and her telling that the physician to like run certain tests if, you know, that telling the physician that my dad wasn't someone who drank and the physician just not believing him, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and her just feeling like completely demoralized, like she wasn't being heard. Um, And, you know, I told myself, like, I want to be a physician so that, you know, my patients can be heard. And 
regardless of what happens in the future, like time's going to pass. Um, you know, like I'm going to put in the work now so that I can live uh, my life later as a physician, which is essentially what I've always wanted. Yeah. So you you figured it out. Uh, the last episode of the pre-med years um, or, or a recent one with Frank, it was a very big conversation around intentionality um, and networking and and not being afraid to to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Do you think on your journey as you were struggling early on, do you think you lacked that ability to ask for help? You didn't want to ask for help? Or do you think once you realized that you needed help, you went out and sought it? Um, I I can say that I... I didn't have the capacity to ask for help at that time. Hmm. Um, you know, in my upbringing, we're always told like, you know, something's going wrong, just power through it, you know, put in the work and everything will work out. Um, but, you know, I would never go to like office hours or anything at the beginning. And it reflected in my, in my grades at the beginning of my studies. Um, but later on, uh, that's one of the few things I did. I was able to like seek out help from both like for both my health issues and for my school issues and just doing so had like a tremendous impact, um, both school in school and out of school. Mm. So when you, you sought out some help, you are obviously at a point where your grades aren't good. And we, we, you'd mentioned a little bit ago, potentially giving up. Was that around the time where you're like, well, I guess, going to medical school, I can't do because you have to be a perfect student, supposedly. Yeah. Um, you know, I would, uh, I would always compare myself to other pre-meds and <laughs> how they're always like, you know, you always hear about pre-meds having like a perfect 4.0 and doing a bunch of stuff. And, you know, I'll be honest, my GPA at community college, my first couple of years was around a 2.3. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just, you compare yourself to other people. Um, and yeah, so like that's one of the reasons I thought about giving up was just because I always was under the impression that you have to be a perfect student to get in medical school, um, which we know now isn't the case, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you you have this 2.3 and again, a lot of people will go, I, I can't get in. They'll go and talk to an advisor. They'll, they'll, they'll talk, they'll go on Student Doctor Network or Reddit or wherever and, and, and I can't get in. What gave you the confidence that you could, right? Here's, here's all of the evidence in front of you that you're not the best student so far. What gave you the confidence that you could turn this around and, and still get into med school? Um, you know, I'll be honest. I didn't really have much confidence. I think <laughs> what, uh, what motivated me to keep going was uh, I didn't want to wake up 15, 20 years in the future and not be doing something I was absolutely in love with. Mm. Um, and so I, I didn't want to wake up 20 years later and be like, you know what, I should have tried harder. I should have put in the effort then so I can potentially like become a physician. You know, like I'd much rather try and not get in, although I would admittedly, I would probably keep trying. <laughs> but um, I just wanted to give it a shot. You know, like I knew I was going to regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't actually give it a solid shot. So, uh, you, you go all in, you're like, I'm going, I'm doing it. I gotta, I gotta fix my study habits. What was the first thing you did to fix your study habits? 
Uh, one of the first things I did to fix my study habits was uh, try to surround myself with people that I knew could be like a positive uh, reinforcement on my study habits. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I mentioned before, like in high school, I didn't study at all. So I honestly didn't know the first thing about studying. And so I tried to surround myself with people who were also struggling and wanted to do better and just kind of help lift one another up so that we can like succeed to the best of our ability. Um, and I think doing so was uh, was a good first step because I've always said, uh, you you know you understand something well if you can like explain it to someone else, you know? And so by doing that, I was able to help other people. They were able to help me and I was able to better my study habits at the same time. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I think um the the network who you surround yourself is just it's so important uh anywhere in life anywhere in life um there's there's someone who says like you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with and so mm-hmm. if you can surround yourself with people who take school seriously who take um, the dedication to whatever journey they're on. It doesn't have to be all students going to medical school. It can be someone who wants to be a pharmacist or a dentist or an engineer or an architect or whatever, right? Finding people who are dedicated to their journey and are, are going to be there to support you along in that journey, then it's just, it makes a world of difference versus just doing it alone and, and finding the, the cold, lonely spot in the library to figure it out on your own. So that's, that's awesome. How soon did you start to see results from your new intentionality with what you were doing? Um, I started to see it basically uh like the first full like new semester so uh that was the first semester i got a 3.0 which you know um isn't all that great either um but um i started seeing it um fairly quickly um it's important to note that you know just because you switch your study habits and everything doesn't mean that um you're gonna see something like you're gonna see results right away because we all learn a different way we all have different study habits um, so it's just finding what works for you and what doesn't work for you and kind of adjusting to that mm-hmm. and just like moving forward, essentially. So moving forward, we we all know or most people know the common phrase, like one step forward, two steps back. Did you see that at all with the, your new habits? Um, you know, I want to say I did mainly because, as I mentioned, uh, I tried certain things and not everything worked for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it could be very demoralizing, you know, putting in so much work and just not being happy with the results you're seeing. Um, but I think the important thing is that, you know, you keep moving forward. We're all going to have unexpected like setbacks in our life. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's generally like how we react to them. That matters more than like, you know, what actually happens. hundred percent. Yeah. What was it like? So, a lot of students struggle with the transition from community college to undergrad. You struggled in community college and now you have this looming like university classes, which everyone says is going to be so much harder and you're trying to, to change study habits and all this stuff. How is that transition for you? Um, I want to say the transition was actually much easier for me than the high school, the community college transition but that kind of goes back to surrounding yourself with people that can help support you. Um, so immediately when I transferred to a four-year university, actually before then I did an internship uh, where they kind of just taught us the basics of science. 
Um, but one of the people that was in charge of the program, she served as an incredible like mentor throughout the whole like um, you know my my studying through um, through my four year college. Um, and I was just able to surround myself with like other people that also supported me as well. So it was because I was surrounded by people that wanted me to succeed that I think it was significantly easier than just like going at it alone. Yeah. A thousand percent. That's, that's awesome. So the, the scholastic stuff is getting under control, right? You're, you're seeing Mm -hmm. some improvement with your grades, the GPA trend line trickling up. As you transitioned to university, what was the pre-health support like? Uh, knowing that going and seeing them, you're you're being vulnerable because they're going to look at those community college classes and go, "Uh oh, like what's going on here?" Yeah. So, um, at the at the um, university I went to, you basically had to um, you had to go to this like big meeting with a bunch of people to fill out. Um, basically a bunch of like documentation with like your name, GPA, all that good stuff before you were actually allowed to see a counselor. Um, and I remember the first time I went to go try, when I tried to attend to one of these meetings, I actually wasn't able to go cause I was working full time and I was taking a bunch of units as well. Um, and the pre-health committee just basically didn't care <laughs> if I'm putting it bluntly. Um, they basically said, if you don't go to one of these meetings, we can't help you. Um, so I basically got no support whatsoever from the pre-health committee. Yeah. So the pre-health committee's out the window. Where where did you get most of your information to to be able to do what you needed to do? Uh, it was from fellow pre-med students. Um, also, like a bunch of internet browsing as well, which you know can lead through a, a you know the internet rabbit hole, which can be go- both good and bad. Um, but most of it was from friends that were going through the same process as well. Yeah. Um, so the, the application process, a little convoluted, a little hard, uh, as you were dipping your toes in the water with the application process, how did you tackle that? Um, so with the application process, uh, I'll be honest, I went into it not knowing everything about it. Um, I actually didn't know about Casper until right after I submitted my primary when my friend asked me if I took Casper already. And I was like, what's Casper? (laughs) Um, But um, I just, you know, I did as much research as I could, talked to as many people as I could regarding what goes into that primary application and just made it my goal to slowly work towards that goal of, you know, getting a complete application so whether that was like working a bit on my personal statement or studying a bit for the MCAT, you know, I just tried to tackle it bit by bit um, because I feel like a lot of times we as pre-meds, we have like so much to do that we kind of get overwhelmed that it's sometimes good to set those like very small goals so that you can see progress and you can feel better about the progress that you're making towards that goal. Yeah. The... The, yeah, the process is, is if you if you're looking at the very end, you kind of miss like oh, there's a lot of stuff here to do. So yeah. definitely definitely needs a lot of uh, checking in and making sure you're staying on top of everything. Uh, the MCAT also this small little test. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, becomes <laughs> uh, a brute, and you struggled early on in probably a lot of your core foundational science courses. How how did you make sure that you were able to 
to do well enough on the MCAT? Um, so one of the things that I did was, so I actually took the MCAT twice. Um, the first time I took it, I did what I wouldn't recommend you do. I kind of just went through practice problems, didn't really go over the reasoning why a question was right or wrong. You know, I just wanted to do as much practice as I could, but I didn't spend the time actually going over the problems as I should have. The second time, um, you know, I made a list of all the questions I missed, why, um, why, like what was the, the flaw in my logic reasoning Mm -hmm. and basically looked into other resources that I can use to better improve in that subject area. Um, one thing I did notice at the beginning was I kept reviewing stuff that I was already good at, um, to kind of just make myself feel better. Um, but when you're studying for the MCAT, you want to make sure that you're really honest with yourself. Uh, you want to make sure that you're going over both the things that you know well, just so you can brush up on it a bit more. But you want to especially focus on things that you know you're weak on, because um, you don't want to be surprised when the actual MCAT, uh, when it's the actual MCAT day, and then uh, you're asked like a whole passage on things that you didn't really study because you kept putting it off. <laughs> uh yeah yeah putting off the mcat definitely not going to work for anyone um you you got your first score back let's let's talk about that because i i love that the biggest thing that i think um i love talking about is is just the mindset at each step of this process right we we talked about the mindset of having a 2.3 in community college and going whatever like i can i can do better i can still do what i want to do uh you take the mcat and you get back a score that you subjectively think is not good enough and not where you need to be. And Ooh. a lot of students will have that mindset of like, well, like, I guess I'll go do something else now. Again, what, what gave you the confidence that you could fix that? Um, I think it was being realistic with myself and uh, being honest and knowing that I could have studied better. I didn't put in as much effort as I should have. Um, so basically that going through that whole process that I did with my grades early on, Mm -hmm. but applying that to the MCAT as well. So really just taking something that you've proven has worked (laughs) just Mm -hmm. like process and intentionality and this and that and, and going, well, it worked for my grades. Why can't it work for the MCAT? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you need to reinvent the wheel? You already, you already did it once. Just rinse and repeat. Yeah, um, exactly. And you know, it's funny. I actually didn't notice that I did the same thing until you pointed it out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There you go. But yeah, it's yeah, basically doing what I knew worked. Yeah. Um, And I kind of want to just mention again that just because someone does like studies a certain way doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. Oh my God, please louder, (laughs) louder for everyone who's not listening right now. (laughs) Cause I always hear, uh, you know, people saying like, Oh, you should do it this way. But I got like, let's say a five, five twenty-five on the MCAT doing it this way. Yeah. But we're all like different people. We all have different experiences (laughs) and we all learn differently. You know, you mean you Um, are not me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it, I I cringe when I read the. Um, it's usually on on the MCAT subreddit. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, Reddit. I know you guys love your community, <laughs> um, but it's it's these threads of like, here's how I got a 525. Here's how I got a 520. Only studying one hour a day for three weeks. Like, like those threads 
are, I guess, okay, but too many students take it as gospel and go, I'm going to study that way. I'm going to do exactly what that student did because obviously that'll work for me. And, and they end up like not doing well. It's like shocker. Like, sure. Like put, put that stuff out there, but for everyone listening, watching, reading, whatever, you need to understand that when you read those things, look for nuggets of information that you think would work well for you and then steal that little bit of inspiration and go do your own thing, right? Don't just copy what someone else did because it worked for them. I, I just, I, I don't like those threads at all. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's very well said. Uh, and it's something I wish I would have, I know you mentioned it before, but um, I'll be honest, I was one of those people who, who wanted to do it a certain way and it wasn't until I tried what I knew worked for me yeah. when I was able to excel, yeah. Yeah, you got it. So you, um, you're retaking the MCAT. Timing-wise, with the MCAT retake and applications, how much stress was around that, or w- were they separated? Uh, there was a lot of stress associated with that. Um, I remember taking the MCAT and just being completely like burnt out. Um, and I remember putting off like doing some final edits on my personal statement. Um, so at this point, the application cycle was already open. Um, so I did take a little longer to submit my primary. But I think on top of that, what stressed me out the most was the fact that I was also working full time. So I was trying to balance work, extracurriculars, MCAT, my application. Um, and I found out very quickly that I was like much more productive if I set some time aside and it was like, okay, today I'm not going to do anything related to med school. I'm going to use today to like recharge, hang out with friends. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall it was an incredibly like stressful um, moment in my life. Mm, yeah. So when were you able to submit your primary application? Were you quote unquote early or did you have to do it a little bit later? Um, I don't remember the exact dates. I remember being complete. So that includes like having my secondaries submitted and everything around like early to mid August, I want to say. Okay. So that's pretty early. Yeah. So not too bad overall. Not at all. Um, I wish I would. Yeah. I wish I would have done it like sooner just to get be done oh, with it. But yeah, uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's very good timing. All right. So you, you apply early, uh, and just one application cycle for you. Uh, no, well, so the previous cycle, I submitted my primary to like one school. Okay. And then I got my MCAT score uh, back. Yeah. Just wasn't happy with it. Got it. And so I was like, I'm not even going to bother finishing okay. this application cycle. Yeah. <laughs> so there was there was less stress around MCAT and application because you weren't trying to retake and get your application in because it, your first test was the prior application cycle. Yeah, exactly. Got it. Okay, so that, that helps a little bit. Uh, and that's good, right? And, and I was very, uh, very much against this whole one game or one school game that students did or do, uh, mm-hmm. like you did, with like, I'm going to submit my primary. I'm just going to add one school. I don't know why that the AAMC doesn't allow verification without a school. Like, let me just submit to verify 
and I'm wait mm-hmm. on my MCAT and then I'll add schools if I want to. Like, why do you need to add one school? That seems dumb. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> random aside, um, when when Mapped becomes an application service, we we won't play that game. Um, the the uh, the one school game I thought was like like you either are confident in your application or you're not like apply to the schools or not. And then I, the more nuanced conversations I had, I'm like, okay, I understand it. Like it's good. And I, and, and I am, I'm, I'm man enough to know I'm, I'm strong enough to know, like I can change my mind. Uh, and I changed my mind recently. Apparently I, I forgot a, about um, USMLE step one going pass fail. Someone had asked me about it in my Instagram DMS and I was like, eh, I'm not a fan of it going pass fail. <laughs> I randomly came across that recently and I'm like, Oh, I had that idea because I love that it's pass fail. Like I wish all of the the USMLE step exams were pass fail. But yeah, anyway. that'd be great. <laughs> anyway, um, so you you get your application in, you're you're verified, completes all that stuff by kind of early to mid August. What was it like getting that first interview invite? Um, I felt like it was validation of mm. like the hard work. Um, just because. You know, as I mentioned before, there's a lot we as pre-meds, we doubt ourselves a lot. <laughs> no, <And so, laughs> you don't say. <laughs> and so uh, I submitted my application, applied to a bunch of schools. And in my mind, I was like, you know, if if I don't get an interview this year, um, here's what I can improve on. Here's the next steps I'll take. But um, getting that first interview invite was just I, I remember receiving the email and I was at work at the time and I had to go to the, the restroom to kind of, <laughs> you know, cry a bit and, uh, and not have anyone at work see me. But, uh, um, it's an experience I like, I can't even describe with words. Yeah. It's, it so, was amazing. Yeah. Talk about, uh, if you'll share 2.3 from community college, where mm-hmm. were you able to get your GPA up to? So I was able to get it up to 3.2. Yeah. Um, and that's just because I really excelled once I had transferred to my four-year university. Yeah. Um, but I did transfer with a bunch of units. So of course it wasn't as high (laughs) as I would like, but stupid math. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Did you do any post-bac work or you finished out your four-year university and then that was it? Uh, so I did do a bit of post-bac work. Um, I also ended up getting an MPH, which I know a lot of people recommend not doing. I personally wanted to pursue an MPH, so yep. that's why I did it. Which is a great, the, but, uh, the only reason to do it, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I have several friends asking, like, hey, do you think I should do an MPH? And the first thing I tell them is, like, is this something you actually want to do? Or is this so you can, like, improve your application, per yeah. se? And I always tell them, like, unless you actually want to do it, like, there's other options that I think are better suited. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So, the oh man you you get your first interview invite you get up to a 3.2 from a 2.3 i mean that's just you really crush it the math must be just astronomical you had to have been close to a 4.0 for your last two years um which basically meant you did your post-bac work during your junior and senior year, but you did some post-bac work on top of that as well. So um, probably just a ton of credits at as high as possible, which gave schools the confidence that you were academically capable. And I, I keep going back to 
the the fact that there is a story behind numbers, right? And mm-hmm. and three point two doesn't mean anything. Three point two can be terrible if it's a a three point uh, 3.4, 3.4, 2.8, 2.8, right? If that's roughly the same. Um, like that's that's not very good. If you're ending at a 2.8, that's not very good. Uh, same thing, flipped around. It's still not great if you go from a 2.8 2, 8, 2, 8 to a 3.4, 3.4 4, 3, 4, to average out at a 3.2, whatever that is. Um, but for you to go from a 2.3 to like near 4.0s to end up at a 3.2, like that is fantastic and and uh, really gives schools the confidence that you have figured out what you are struggling with. You are academically capable of doing well in medical school and there's no doubt that you will be able to do well in medical school. Now let me go look at everything else. I think there's this this kind of misplaced thought that, Holistic review is, oh, I have amazing experiences. I have a really crappy GPA, but I have amazing experiences. And holistic review will save me, right? That's just, that not that's not true, right? Yeah. Holistic <laughs> review is after you've proven you can pass medical school. You need to at least meet some minimums. And, and every school, every admissions committee is going to have those minimums that they follow uh, based on the track records and, and data that they have at their school. And so for you, and I always talk about this and I get lots of flack for, uh, for it in, in terms of being good enough, right? Having a good enough MCAT score, a good enough GPA. Uh, and that's good enough to get to that next stage so that they can look at everything else about your application. So you, uh, you get to that next stage. What, what was your, your first interview like? Um, so my first interview, um, because of COVID, it's one of those weird ones where uh, basically they re- the, the school had people record a question and then I had to record myself answering back. Um, so it wasn't like a, like, you know, what we would consider a traditional interview, Yeah. but, um, that one went horribly. <laughs> yeah. I, I um, hate those one way asynchronous interviews. They're, they're not fun. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, just running out of time, um, you know, losing my train of thought, not remembering what the question was. And, you know, you only have like a minute and a half to answer the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you lose your train of thought or, you know, whatever happens, uh, you lose a significant amount of time, um, you know, answering the question the way you're supposed to. Um, but I mean, the thing I did with the first interview is I knew I wasn't going to, I probably wasn't going to get into that school with my interview performance. Um, but again, like with everything I've done in the past, I kind of just tried to spin it in a positive way and said, okay, what can I do better? Or what are some things I can do to maximize my chances of getting into medical school? Um, and so that, of course, was like getting more interview prep um, done, um, recording myself talking to like a webcam, which I feel like is super important if you're doing virtual interviews. So it looks like you're actually talking to the person mm-hmm. versus, you know, looking down. Um, I just try to do as many things as I could to maximize my chance of getting into medical school. Nice. Yeah, it, it's funny. My my general stance on looking at the camera is I, I don't recommend it. Um, mm-hmm. Right? The uh, 
the general sense was, oh, you want to simulate uh, a real environment as much as possible. And so stare at the camera so that the person on the other end uh, can, can see that you're looking them in the eyes, right? <laughs> but you're missing yeah. out on facial expressions and, and human yeah. connection because you're not looking at their face. And so it's just super awkward because that's not how we use <laughs> computers um, mm-hmm. and, and virtual uh, like Zoom and Skype and stuff. And so I, I generally was, was like, no, like don't do that. What you can do potentially is move your camera up as high as possible towards the webcam, uh, move, move like the image on the screen so that you can still look yeah. at them while, and make your eyes much closer to the camera. And that way, if you want to glance up every once in a while and go, hey, I see you, I see, I see you in there, um, then uh, <laughs> you can do that. So um, you, so you go on your, your pseudo first interview, not so good, but you, you've improved, right? Here's, here's the takeaway from, from this episode. You found ways to overcome each of your failures without Mm -hmm. giving up. You figured out how to improve your study habits and overcome your 2.3 GPA. You found a way to overcome not preparing for the MCAT the right way, and you did better on the MCAT next time around. You found a way to overcome a poor start to your interview season, and you did better. And each step along the way, what you're doing is you're giving yourself this positive feedback of like, oh, like life, life isn't easy. This process isn't easy. I'm going to stumble along the way. And I have learned how to pick myself back up and I'll just keep doing that as I go. Yeah, I think that's a a good summary. Um, And it's something that keep in mind, you know, for everyone listening is like, there's probably going to be moments in this journey where things don't go the way you do, that you want them to, um, you know, and that's, that's a completely normal part of this process for many of us. Um, but you know, if this is something that you really want to do, then you'll, you'll find a way to like kind of improve your application in a way so that you can go on to become a physician. Essentially what I'm trying to say is like, don't give up. Like things do get better. Um, just try to put in the work if you can so that you maximize your chances of accomplishing that dream that you have. Yeah. Talk about, uh, and we won't get into specific schools in case you're still working on stuff, but but talk about how you ended up finding out you got a full ride to uh, a very good state school in California. Um, so I actually got a phone call from... Uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like say this in a way without giving away the school that I'm going to be going to. But you basically, got a phone I got call. a phone. Yeah, I got a phone call um, from the person that tells everyone whether or not they got the scholarship, um, and she basically just called me, uh, you know, congratulating me about the scholarship. Um, Was it something you had to apply for? Was it something they just gave to people? Like, how did you, how did you f- go about that? So this was actually one of the scholarships that everyone is automatically, like everyone who is accepted is automatically like eligible for it. And there's like no additional application process. Nice. Um, So it didn't really require more work on my end, Mm -hmm. um, which was nice. (laughs) Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Do you know why you got it? Um, I I should have asked if I'm being honest. I didn't. Just because <laughs> it doesn't I was matter. Like they gave me lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> I was like super overwhelmed. I, yeah. I like broke down in tears. I think a lot of it has to do with telling my story, though. Yeah. Uh, and just showing that growth that I've had throughout the years. And just being able to talk about like my clinical experiences, uh, what I learned from them, and just showing that you know this is the the path for me, mm. and I think they were just like really moved by my story, um, and that's what was resulted in me getting that scholarship. Yeah. Uh, in terms of telling your story, did you follow some of my advice, like from my books, or did you not? Um, I did. I tried having like specific examples, um, you know, because you can say you can say one thing, but it's uh, it's much easier to convey like your actual story if you can give like concrete examples of like a certain instance where something happened. Um, So I did use several of your of your books to try to incorporate a lot of the ideas that you had. and most importantly, I think one of the things that also helped out a lot was having other people look at my personal statement, my activities section, everything. Because mm-hmm. when I first wrote my personal statement, uh, that was the greatest thing I've ever written. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I had people look at it, and they just ripped it to shreds nicely. And I asked them to do so, um, but then I was like, "Wow, this this could uh, this could use a lot of work." <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, I, Alejandro, congratulations on your success. Multiple acceptances, full ride to to an amazing school um, where hopefully you will be successful and and thrive and become a physician that will take care of patients in a way that you wanted your dad to be taken care of a long time ago. Well, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Gray. Um, I pre I appreciate your words of encouragement. Yeah. Before we wrap up here, what words of encouragement do you have for someone on their journey to medical school, maybe sitting at community college right now with a 2.3 GPA? Um, I think if I can give like a piece of advice, it's that, uh, it's probably that there's, there, you, there's a, there's, um, a lot of people are obsessed with, you know, getting into medical school as soon as possible. Um, but they don't give time to themselves, to their loved ones, to do things that they enjoy outside the medical school process. And I feel like a lot of people need to hear this, but if you feel like you need to, it's okay to slow down. Medical school will still be there in a year or two later than you anticipate. And, uh, later than you anticipate, it's okay to slow down kind of have fun outside of this whole process, you know, have those, uh, build those memories with your loved ones, with your family, your friends. Um, you know, it's, it's not a race and, and eventually, uh, you'll, you'll get there too. All right. So there you have it again, Alejandro sharing his story about going to medical school, getting in and not giving up. I think, it's one of my favorite themes of bringing students on is that the students who deny that 
feeling of giving up, deny that desire of wanting to give up, deny the imposter syndrome, uh, or at least shove it to the side and say, move out of my way. This is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. I don't care. That is the story that I love. And hopefully you got a little bit of encouragement today from Alejandro. I will see you next week here on The Prima Deers. This is MedEd Media.